Good morning. It is always a joy for Anna to be here to worship with you. And to that great joy has been added the privilege of getting to teach you this morning and um, read the Word of God together. So if you'll turn with me to the second chapter of Isaiah, we'll be studying one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament. Now, perhaps like me in your home, you have a particular painting or a prized um, trophy from a hunt, and every time you have someone over, you want to show it off. That's how I feel about this passage in the book of Isaiah. I am eager to share it with you. And the reason is quite simple. It's because its message is one that we desperately need to hear. Christ restores the humble. Christ restores the humble. Will you pray with me before we read the word of God? Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the kindness of giving us your word, that we might look to it and know how greatly you love us. We pray that the Holy Spirit would add his blessing this morning to the reading, to the teaching, and particularly to the hearing of the word of God. We pray that our hearts would receive the gospel by faith that our hearts would be like the soil that receives it without weeds of the worries of this world and that they would in time produce a fruit a hundredfold to the glory of our Father in heaven. We thank you and we pray that you would bless this time together this morning. Amen. So Isaiah chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah... And Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above all hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will endure forever. So as I said before, what I love so much about this passage is that it is about restoration. But before we can see the scene of restoration that Isaiah sees, we need to understand why this restoration takes place. It's not common that an estate of humiliation gives way to greater glory. It's a supernatural thing that only happens because we have a resurrected Christ. Now, all throughout the book of Isaiah, Isaiah is hearing words of judgment against the people of Judah. He's calling them out and exposing their sin. He's condemning their idolatry. But in the midst of hearing all of these words of destruction, exile, pestilence, famine, sword, he sees something that gives him a different perspective. If you look at verse 1, it, it says that Isaiah saw this word concerning Judah 
in Jerusalem. This is not merely an oracle that he is hearing along with the words of judgment, but rather it is a scene. It is a vision that he is seeing of the restoration of the people of God. And as Christians, we know how that restoration takes place, don't we? We know that Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and he rejoiced in it. We know from the Apostle Peter that all of the prophets long to see the day of the Lord Jesus. So we know that it is Christ who brings about this restoration. Now with that established, we can look at the restoration that Christ brings when he comes. And we'll see this in three main areas. Firstly, we will see um, Christ restore Jerusalem's glory. Secondly, we will see Christ restore his people's righteousness. And finally, we will see Christ restoring his people's peace. So first, the first thing that Isaiah sees in this vision is the restoration of Jerusalem's glory. If you look at your texts, Isaiah says that in the latter days, the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above all of the hills. Now, Mount Zion is the, tri- the prized possession of Israel. It is, it is the capital city of Judah. It is um, the symbol of the nation. It, it encompasses, really, the idea of the nation. It is where God dwells with them. It is where the temple is built. It is where the Davidic king reigns. And although it's supposed to be this beautiful symbol of God dwelling with his people on the earth, in the book of Isaiah, it's going to become a thing of shame. In this book, God promises that he will destroy the mountain. He promises that he will tear it down. He promises that he will disinhabit. And yet Isaiah sees something very different here. He sees that after this exile, it will be restored once more. Now, the eerie abandonment that the people of Israel had for the city of Jerusalem reminds me a bit of the beginning of the corona epidemic. Now, it might sound peculiar, but my favorite place on earth is the 12th floor of Colbertson Hall at the Moody Bible Institute. It's a strange place to have as your favorite place, but it's my favorite place because it's where I met my best friends. It's where we would stay up late talking together, studying the scriptures, where we would meet together every night to pray. And in the lobby of that 12th floor is where I had a senior, my freshman year, tell me, hey, you really need to um, get some nerve and finally ask out that girl, Anna, that you've been talking about this whole time. But little did I know my senior year when I went home for spring break that I would never really return. And this place that had been so joyful and so sacred to me was in a moment laid low. And when I returned to collect my possessions, I remember noticing how silent the halls were. How empty the place felt. And this is but a small taste of what the people of Israel experienced with the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the gem of Israel. Jerusalem with all of its festivals. Jerusalem with the temple and the choirs. Jerusalem where they would all make pilgrimage to, where they wrote all of these psalms about the joys of going up to it, was in a moment snuffed out like a candle, extinguished by God because of its sin. 
But in Isaiah 2, before that takes place, God promises his people that even though he's going to judge it, they will in time receive a newer, brighter, and greater Jerusalem. And my friends, we see this take place, don't we? Not in the newspapers of today, but in the New Testament, when God fulfills his promises to his people in the coming of the Lord Jesus. Or have you not heard that when we gather together as we do this Sunday, we go where? We ascend to Mount Zion, as the author of Hebrews puts it. We go to the the true Jerusalem. We go to the city of God. We join the spirits of the saints made perfect. We join the angels in worshiping the everlasting and true God. Yes, the Lord Jesus in his ascension was faithful to prepare a place for us. And he now, with eagerness, welcomes us into his presence in that newer and greater Mount Zion. Or do you not know that you have a citizenship in heaven? Do you not know that you are seated with him in heavenly places? Our God eagerly um, awaits us to come into his presence in that new and greater Zion that he has prepared for us. So like Abraham, we no longer wander the earth searching for an earthly city, but by faith go to the city whose architect is God. So my friends, let us go there gladly before him. Over the past few weeks, as um, my wife and I have been going through some trials and tribulation in regards to some family matters, um, a hymn that has meant a great deal to me, Recently, some of you might know it, Sweet Hour of Prayer. It's an old, simple one, and it goes something like this, Sweet Hour of Prayer, Sweet Hour of Prayer, Thy wings my petitions shall bear to him whose truth and whose faithfulness engages the waiting soul to bless. And since he bids me to seek his face, believe his word, and trust upon his grace, I will give to him my every care. And I will wait for thee in sweet hours of prayer. My friends, there is a new and better city prepared for us. Let us constantly go there and pour out our prayers before the throne of God. We love as Reformed Christians to note that our God is in heaven and he does as he pleases. But what he pleases is to welcome his people into his presence. Therefore, let us go boldly before his throne of grace. So we have seen Christ restore the glory of his people. We will now see him restore their righteousness. That's the next thing that Isaiah sees in this vision of the coming of Christ. He sees a restored righteousness. Now we know from reading the scriptures that Israel had fallen deeply into sin, profoundly into idolatry. They had forgotten the law of God. They were not keeping the Passover or the Jubilee. They did not care for the widow or the sojourner. Gone was the love of neighbor and the love of God himself. The temple had become a blasphemous place, offering up false sacrifices to false gods. And yet we see here that Christ restores the righteousness of his people. If you look at the text, it says many people will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. 
that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. Now, what's so profound here is not only the fact that God is restoring his presence to Jerusalem after he said he's going to send it into exile, but the fact that he has actually changed the hearts of the people of Israel. If you recall, God dwelt with his people in a tabernacle in the wilderness. And we know even at the writing of this occasion, while Isaiah was still alive, there was a temple. God was there. And yet there was not a heart of obedience among the people of God. They constantly profaned his name. They constantly were in sin. And yet we see that they are given a new heart, that they desire to be in the house of God, that they crave his presence, that they are eager to go there and bring their neighbors with them. But my friends, how does this dramatic change take place? Well, if if you look at the scriptures, Isaiah says that he sees that the law goes forth from Zion and the word of God goes out from Jerusalem. And my friends, do our hearts not burn like those on the road to Emmaus, as we see how all of these prophecies and scriptures are fulfilled in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. For was it not Jesus who ascended the mountain and taught us the true meaning of the law? Moses said unto you, but I say unto you with all of the authority of God. Moses gave a law to regulate our actions, and Christ's law cuts to our heart and spirit. Was it not Christ who ascended the mountain of the Lord and said, Go into all of the earth, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you? But not only this, he says what? But first go to Jerusalem and wait. And when you do, you will be clothed with power from on high. Jesus is the one who is able to bring about this change in the hearts of his people. Through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, he's able to send them forth out of Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And bring about a people whose heart is set upon God, who desire to be in his presence. We see this not only fulfilled in the book of Acts, but we're seeing it fulfilled right now. As Pastor Hartley and I stand before you as heralds from Jerusalem saying, that the Lord Jesus Christ has come and he has restored our righteousness. But my friends, perhaps you can identify with Israel's struggle to maintain its purity. Perhaps you can identify with the constant war against their sin within. And despite the promise of his presence, you feel alone. You feel as though you are in exile. And you feel this because you feel the need to perform some act of contrition. Surely the news cannot be true. It's too good that even though I am a sinner, even though I am profane, even though I am an unclean man among an unclean people, I am to be welcomed into the courts of God. But my friends, that is the good news of the gospel because we know not only does the law go forth from Jerusalem, but the one who fulfilled the law. The one who said, I did not come to abolish the law, but it is fulfilled in me, and through his life, death, and resurrection, we are now freed from all of its condemnation. It is Christ and Christ alone who can restore our righteousness. So do not sit outside the city gates attempting to make yourself clean. It can only be done 
through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's join the people in Isaiah chapter 2, and when we fall and when we sin, we say, come, let us go up to the house of the Lord that he may teach us again his ways, that we may walk rightly. We have seen Christ restore the glory of Jerusalem in the New Testament. We have seen Christ restore the righteousness and the law of his people, giving them a new heart. And now we see, after these things, Christ will restore a deep and abiding peace. Now, reading the book of Isaiah can at times be a bitter pill to swallow. In it, we see God's holiness revealed in his hatred for sin. He terrifies us in his wrath as he warns of hunger, death, disease, and torment for an unrepentant city. He promises to gather up armies and lay waste to the countryside before sacking the city of Jerusalem. But after this war and after this violence, he promises that he will bring about a true and lasting peace. If you look at verse 4, Isaiah promises that God himself will judge between the nations and that he will decide disputes for many people. And then we have this beautiful picture that they shall beat their swords into plowshares. And they will turn their spears into pruning hooks. And nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. No longer will men settle disputes by the shedding of blood, but rather God will rule with equity over all of the nations. Now perhaps some of you, like me, are students of history. And you know that it seems after every great war, there's this profound moment of both ignorance and arrogance, when humanity gets together and they say, we have finally learned our lesson. War is a dreadful thing and we're never going to do it again. We, we see this after every great conflict in world history. They say, okay, finally, there's no way after seeing the horrors that have been unleashed upon the earth that we would ever do this again. But my friends, apart from Christ, this is the inheritance of this world. Nation will rise against nation. There will be wars and rumors of wars. It's all humanity can do while bound to sin and death. But for those who are in Christ Jesus, peace already reigns. In Christ, our enmity with God has been erased and replaced with fellowship. In Christ, the hostility that existed between Jew and Gentile has been destroyed forever in one new man, Christ Jesus. In Christ, the apostles would say, the peace of Christ rests upon the children of God. And so we see the coming of Christ gives way to this beautiful picture of people abandoning the implements of war. And not only are they not using them for violence, but they're using them for the common good. The sword that would once sever limbs now cuts down, tree, cuts down fruit to feed to the children. The spear that once pierced a man's heart is now being used to prune crops to increase their yield for the nation. What we see here, frankly, is Eden being restored. Although the people still have these vestiges of the fallen world, the clock is turned back and they're back in the, gar- in the garden harvesting crops plentifully with abundance. But most sweetly of all, 
in this passage to me, what makes it uniquely one of my favorite prophecies, is that Isaiah says they will learn war no more. They will learn war no more. Now, from the time that we are born, we are enslaved to sin and death and begin to learn the ways of war. We learn how to defend ourselves. We learn how to cut down someone with a harsh word when our anger gets aroused. We learn how to develop thick skin. We learn how to cut off our emotions so that we're not vulnerable and damaged. We learn the ways of war, but God says a time is coming when you will not need to defend yourself because I will defend you. You will learn war no more and all of your defense mechanisms, all of your anxiety will be wiped away as I wipe away every tear from your eye. All of your self-sufficiency, your mistrust, will be replaced by intimacy, trust, and joy as you're welcomed into the arms of your heavenly Father. You will not need to defend yourself, but you will be gathered up by God and you will learn war no more. And so we eagerly await that final day when Christ comes and restores not only an earthly glory and restores or finally gives us the um, experience of what he has already declared over us of our righteousness, but we await the day when our full peace will be revealed. And so it is fitting that Isaiah um, commissions the people who have just seen this glorious vision of restoration with a word of exhortation to live in light of it. If you look at verse at verse 5, he says, O house of Jacob, come and let us walk in the light of the Lord. He's saying, let us not forget what the Lord has revealed to us. Let us not forget the hope and the restoration that we know is coming. And as Christians... We not only live in light of this prophecy in Isaiah 2, but we live in light of its fulfillment. We live in light of the one who truly knew the depths of humiliation and the heights of restoration. We consider the Lord Jesus Christ, who humbled himself and took on the form of a servant. And he became obedient even to death. Yes, death on a cross. And what? What comes next, church? Therefore God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus Christ every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Christ knows what it means to be humbled. And because of that, he knows what it means to be restored. And he now promises to all of his people, he promises to all of you that if you will humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, he will be the one to lift you up. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this comforting, wonderful word, this word of restoration and hope, this word that you will give us a glory that cannot now be seen, but we get to experience as we worship you and delight in your Sabbath day. We thank you that you have restored our righteousness by becoming like us, yet without sin. And taking upon your earthly body the curse that belonged to us. And we thank you for the foretaste that we have now of the restored peace that we will have ultimately someday. 
that we can come before your throne and pour out before you all of our wants and all of our worries, and that we can find in you peace and joy, even in the midst of suffering and affliction. We love you, Lord, and it is in your great and matchless name that we pray. Amen.